It's the second poetry book of the month on the Ripon pages, and after going stateside with Baron Wormser all the way over in Vermont, we're bringing it home this month with Charlotte Eichler. Uh, this is one of my favourites this year, and I'm delighted to be talking about her collection, Swimming Between Islands, published by Carcanet. Indeed, archipelagos, kestrels, jellyfish, rivers animate Charlotte's poems. Anthony Varney Capaldea has called her a poet of the modern pastoral while Steve Whitaker in the Yorkshire Times described Charlotte as having a forensic eye and finding energy and industry in a world rendered steroidal by a microscope of the imagination. It's more than a question of what meets the eye in Charlotte's poems, but how the eye or how the eye helps render the world in the perceiver's own language. Prior to this, Charlotte published a pamphlet with Valley Press called Their Lunar Language. She lives in West Yorkshire. Charlotte, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Liam. But one of the things that I noticed in this collection, and one of the first things that I noticed is the use uh, of pronouns, of all things, uh, and in particular how pronouns were often the first word of uh, the poem. I like to use we in particular in poems as opposed to I, because especially with um, the poems of childhood, there's I think there's something kind of sibling-like about a we in a poem, especially a childhood poem um and there's something of that feeling of kind of charging around in a gang with other children or, or even other teenagers and where you're sort of collectively experiencing the world together and I like that in a poem where it keeps the view it keeps the point of view kind of looking outwards and hopefully includes the reader somewhat and brings them into the poem as as a we but I don't know, there's something particularly nice, I think, about when you don't use I in a poem. Um, I think that I can bring you sort of too much into the speaker's head and it's too interior as opposed to looking outwards at the world. So so did, did, did you have siblings? I've got a brother, yeah, who oh, I'm very close to. And um, I think a lot of my childhood experiences that I write about in book kind of not autobiographically it's a bit more oblique than that um when you're I think when you're out in nature or running around in the fields with friends like those are my my favorite memories of childhood and there's a lot less awareness of yourself as an individual and you're more just sort of looking wide-eyed at things for the first time I mean I I had a I had a sister and I remember I was a little bit older than her and I kind of remember taking care of her out to some extent, you know, looking after them when they're out and about. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, so you sound, are you trying to create a sibling out of the reader, so to speak? You kind of said you're bringing the reader in with you to this experience, to this vision. I think what I'm always trying to do in poetry is to recreate, uh, and maybe what everyone is trying to do is to recreate what it's like to have experienced something yourself. And so bringing them into the poem as a sort of way of being closer to the experience and sort of central in in that place rather than that I'm showing it to them that they're actually the poem is an experience rather than something they're being told or explained um yeah because I didn't I didn't I didn't feel like you were you know massively personal but you're not a confessional poet in the in the you know it's not kind of all out on the page is it but there is something about it that feels experiential or that even if you're not experiential you are taking us on that journey with you through Mm -hmm. these poems yeah and I think I do use oh I wouldn't say it's um yeah not not confessional particularly and 
there's some very few poems in there that are factually accurate in terms of being taken from my life or my experiences but there's it's absolutely full of very concrete details of things that I've observed or, or have really happened and sometimes when I'm writing like that and I'm sort of gathering these details I'll put them in a poem and think that's that's a little bit too obscure like because it's so specific from something I've seen or or done or or even that's come from a dream maybe like a, just a weird little true detail somehow that that kind of detail can work really well in a poem to sort of trigger associations in the reader I think I realized this in one of the oldest poems in the book which is called survivors which has got um kind of little details about when we, my brother and I used to visit our great aunts um and we did like they had um they had a chest full of toy koalas and they had china cockatoos and they had um and we had like all the details in that poem are true and even the um creating a bee's graveyard well I think when I was writing it because I was quite a new poet at the time I thought well this is all very well but what are people actually going to take from these kind of details but a lot of people have told me that that poem reminds them of their own kind of experiences with older relatives and so even if the details aren't the same then it's that concrete thing that brings you in to the poem yeah I mean I can see what people might well assuming that they mean it's kind of that visit to some a different generation you know they have these kind of I don't want to call them relics but kind of things for the you know feels it felt, it felt a little bit outdated in the sense you've got the Viewmaster, the unchanging views of Prague and no TV. And the, and I think it is there in some sense, but I don't, you know, it just felt, it felt like this is one of the sort of few poems that there is a kind of darker, um, well, it, it's apparent that this is obviously is, but there's a, there's a pain attached to this poem. Yeah. Yeah. A history of pain to some extent. Oh yeah. Well, I'm not saying it's not a, a dark poem. It's about, Holocaust survivors but um and I think to me loads of the poems that are from childhood are do have that darker edge because I think childhood is a lot darker than we um <laughs> than traditionally we might hope for it Absolutely, to be yeah. and I really like exploring that side of things and like, I mean I'm talking a lot about childhood but I don't feel like I'm that different a person from that that child who's experiencing the world and I kind of like to bring out those darker things and have them side by side with the light. Do you think this kind of childhood then, do you think the kind of childhood in the natural world or when you were thinking about writing these poems, did you think, do you think that that exposure to the natural world give you, gave you a more of a predisposition to the fact that there is, you know, a darker truth to the world, that there is sort of a light and a darkness Maybe. Um, I mean, I had, a, I had a fairly rural childhood. I grew up in a village, hence there are a lot of poems about uh, running around in fields and being in the garden. And it was the 80s when I was growing up, so we were allowed to just go out and be out all day and no parents were looking after us. Um, so I suppose that does give you sort of more of an experience to work things out and to fall out with each other and to discover horrible things in the woods <laughs> um, and come across dead animals. And I don't know, I don't know really, maybe, maybe it did. I don't really associate that feeling of being in nature with, um, you know, nature red in tooth and claw and full of danger. Um, 
I don't, no, I don't think I don't think it's danger. Is it? It's not danger. It's like I said. It's just you know, like I said, things you know, dead animals and that kind of thing. That 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 the, the natural world is full of life. It's full of death. It's full of yeah. It's full of life. It's got to be full of death, hasn't it? I guess. Well, I think even now I'm like very very focused when I'm out and about on what's around me in terms of the environment and the animals mm. and the birds. I'm I go for walk walks every day. I I'm a bit of a bird watcher gathering details about the world when I'm out and about like most of my poems are sparked from being in especially in new places in nature and that is what that is where my poems come from it's it's rather than sort of sitting at home and kind of yeah I don't or maybe maybe everyone's poems start like this but it's 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 definitely like a concrete uh gathering of detail and um image that my poems begin from rather than more of an interior kind of emotion or um interior impulse and they they usually go in that direction they'll they'll go they'll uh, become sort of more interior and intellectual as I'm writing them but the the gathering of images comes from that being in nature and wanting to feel part of nature yeah, the key phrase, the key thing that you seem to say there, that all the, the thing that struck me is that they start by you being out in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where it starts. It doesn't start from the desk, so to speak. Or it doesn't seem like it starts from the desk. It's about you being out in the world. And that's the thing about the kind of pronouns and the use of, you know, the, the sense of perspective. You, you you are bringing us on this journey with you in some respects. You are taking us with you. Um, and that's why the ideas of siblings was I thought was quite interesting because it feels mm-hmm. like don't want to say there's an arm around us so to speak as the reader but you, you it's, it's um, yeah you're taking us with us into this into this world and the worlds that you create you know because it's very visual is a lot of metaphor and I guess metaphor is a way of you know making people relate to the world as well but either way perspectives does seem important in your poems or creating perspectives but you, saying that as well but you kind of do some tricks with us um or it feels like you do some tricks you invert the world sometimes it feels like you're sort of playing with illusions quite a lot i wonder if this was then a, a comment about your connection or perhaps our connection ours as in you know human beings uh connection with the world uh, well my my favorite poems are poems that um that you feel well, they're like sort of places that you can revisit and, as I've said, sort of that you can experience a poem as you're going around it. And I think what I'm trying to do when I write is to recreate that experience that I have of um, of sort of being in the world and of thinking, you know, sort of basically what, do, what does it feel like to be a person in the world and touched by the things that you're, you know, going about your day doing and like the process of thought and thinking and being a person is just never, it's not linear. It's not a linear narrative. And um, that's what poems can do really well is have these different perspectives that sort of jump around and, but still work as, as a whole. And similarly in the place that you're in, your eyes will be up in the top of the trees. You'll be, you know, if you're at the sea, your mind will actually be at the bottom of the sea wondering what's down there. And I think that kind of, inversion and almost like I haven't really thought about it much but I didn't think about it as inversion in the way that you described it but you're you're right there is that sort of swapping of 
land and sea or sky and sea in Asteroidia, one of the poems. What would you call it? What would you call Um, it? I was thinking of um, sort of swapping substances, like the transposition of different substances. So like in um, the 50-year traffic jam, the cars are sort of gradually becoming, sort of swapping themselves with the trees and vice versa. And um, and Fata Morgana is about um, the mirage that you get when you're out at sea where it looks like you can see kind of um, castles and boats kind of floating on the sea because the light's bending in some scientific way that I can't really describe but it's that sort of like the light and the water and the land is getting all mixed up together and I did see one of those mirages when I was on the boat on the way to the Lofoten Islands but when I got to the Lofoten Islands being on those islands because there was so much water around and the houses were kind of higgledy-piggledy dotted around the island in geographically just in the places that they could be built. It felt like a really dynamic environment where the water could overwhelm everything at any moment. So I was using that that mirage to sort of describe the actual place. It's an attempt to describe what the experience of thought and feeling is when you're in a landscape and, and thinking is a bit more like swimming. You're not just like plodding along from one point to the next in your mind. I mean, you can Google Fata Morgana and you can sort of see it and you can kind of Google it and you get a photo of it and then you can read the Wikipedia entry on it. You know, Uh or I can even go on to Google Scholar and read the academic description. But but your poem also describes it in a a different way. Mm -hmm. And perhaps in a, I don't know, I don't know what's the right way, the wrong way, the better way, but... Either way, it's trying to describe an experience. Yeah, you need you need both, don't you? You need the the facts and and the science to understand it, but you also need to be able to understand it from a human experiential point of view. To be honest, I wouldn't have noticed it myself if so if the person on the boat hadn't pointed it out. But they just like it was very far on the horizon, and you could there's sort of a gap between um, the water and the the clouds. Like I didn't see a boat floating or an island floating I just could see like it was a little bit weird and shimmery but they said that's a Fata Morgana and so supposedly that's where um, myths about floating islands and floating ships come from because Um, had it been just over the horizon uh, a piece of land then that sort of the light would have bent it so the land looked like it was floating above the water. Are you much are you sort of much traveled in that area? Seems like you are. No, not really. There was just okay. one particularly good holiday I had a long time ago with my family. Um, and it was 10 days. We were we went around the Scottish Islands and up the Norwegian coast and um, ended up at the Lofoten Islands, which we were just sort of stopping off as we went along. It was lots, lots of islands. Sort of a once, once in a lifetime kind of holiday. And it's actually where I started writing poetry because I wanted to record what I was seeing and... It felt like a good subject for poems, so I just started experimenting. Definitely, yeah. Well, it is the title of the collection is Swimming Between Islands. But they are very, you know, they are strong for metaphors, aren't they? In a very a lot of metaphorical potential in a, in an island. Hello, thanks once again for joining me on today's episode of The Real Print Pages. Now, if you're in Bradford on the 4th of November, I'm going to be talking to Tom Branford about his new collection, Four, which has just been published by Broken Sleep. There's a link to the tickets in the show notes. Hope to see you there. What it appeals to you? I mean, it's now you've now you've now you've written this collection about islands. Do you think you'll write about them again? You know, what I mean, how powerful are they for you? 
Well, the reason I ended up with a lot of poems about islands in the first place was because, not not especially on a poetic level, but just on a personal level, I really like visiting that kind of place. I like being basically as isolated as, pos- as possible and as far away from other people as possible. Right, I like enough. cold northern places. I'm more of a cold weather person than a hot weather person. I don't know, it's just sort of an intensifying of like stories set on islands are really fascinating because they can just be so intense and focused. And I think that just really lends itself to to writing a poem because I one of the weird things I noticed when I was putting the book together was that the poems I've written um, set in Russia are much longer, the lines are longer. Um, the poems are just like, they're some of my longest poems, like um, at the Cathedral of the Spilled Blood and they're much more long and sprawling, whereas the island poems are short and contained and surrounded by the sea of the page, if I can choosely put it like that. But I just, it wasn't intentional, but I think there was something about when I was writing about Russia that just was just much more expansive. And I think the landscape was informing that. Yeah, 52 Soviet Sky Prospects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I, know, I didn't notice that. But uh, if you look at, compared to something like Into the Fjords, for instance. Yeah, fragmented and... Yeah, yes. Because the fjords are a very fragmented sort of landscape. I think that's what the poem's doing. It's an enduring theme, isn't it? But is there something in for you about the kind of mythical element? Is there is there, is there a mythical capacity of an island? I've got a background in Old Norse studies, so I've I've always, since before I started writing poetry, I've been interested in Old Norse myth and Icelandic literature, and so for me that kind of northern myth is very much entangled with islands like the vikings being on the scottish islands and iceland and then the fjords of norway um and that that kind of landscape so and some of the poems are inspired by like more directly by norse myth um like hervor and volland and and valkyrie to some extent i guess there's a there's a sort of st- a fairy tale starkness to that kind of landscape with the pine trees and the snow and that works really well with a, a myth or a fairy tale I think just the simplicity of the story that is then really fertile ground for writing poetry that's inspired by that whether directly or indirectly. One of the things that came that I saw quite a lot of is. Um... There's lots of images of wings. So there are images of birds, but also more specifically, and you know, in, in Valkyrie, it felt sort of fairy tale like for all those different things that that word can mean. Is there anything related to what you just said? I think partly that I I'm, I love birds and I particularly like watching birds in the UK. There's something kind of hidden and cryptic about attempting to see birds in this country because they're often so small and brown and you just don't see them very easily and I think that makes them more mysterious and fascinating in a way and makes you want to sort of chase after them and try and see them more I think maybe if I'd grown up in a landscape like more tropical and there were these incredible winged creatures of rainbow hues in front of me all the time that would be not that might not be something that I'd write poetry about because there'd be no mystery to it like it'd be beautiful it would be sort of the poem already there in front of you it wouldn't need writing whereas there's something about I think UK nature and maybe the hardness of the kind of landscapes that our animals live in like it's it's cold and um and frosty and they're sort of struggling to survive amongst 
all this humanity there's something about that that just makes me want to somehow try and pin it down yeah is it the mystery of it what appeals to you what draws you in i think it is i think i could probably illustrate what i mean by by this example so in in leeds there's are you familiar with tropical world in round hay park i am indeed Um, many a school trips yeah (laughs) well they've they've got this um nocturnal section and they've got an awesome collection of fruit bats and when i first used to go because we used to live in in round hay um we would go and the bats were so badly lit that you could you could barely see them. They were just sort of outlines and you'd occasionally see one sort of flutter towards the glass to sit on a banana and chew it, but you couldn't really see them at all. And like, I just stood there for ages trying to see the bats, trying to work out what was, what was going on. And then later on, they came, they started lighting the nocturnal section with red lights, which obviously didn't disturb the animals, but it meant that we could see them better. And then the bats lost a lot of their appeal for me. They just weren't... Wow. Okay. Experience. I'm not saying I'm not slanging up the bats. You know, there were still great <laughs> bats. There was nothing, I guess, for the imagination to do. And I like, I like writing, and I like poems, especially where there's something for the reader to do. Like it's not all there in front of them. There's some kind of, there's a bit of a mystery to solve, or not to solve, but just to experience um, and to make you want to come back. That's a really nice answer. And I, I like that we sort of came from sort of not really knowing to the kind of the answer is that we don't know. But I, I like that idea. I like that the fact that it is the mystery of, you know, the mystery appeals to you. Um, and the mystery is, you know, it's enjoyed. It brings people back, doesn't it? Um, yeah. What's that kind of feeling like then when you sort of are told about that? Does it kind of break the mystery down a bit or does it kind of make you go, oh, wow, or, you know? You can't be intentional when you're too intentional when you're writing poems because if you have a plan and decide right I want to write about this then it's often going to fall flat on the page but I think being aware of the kind of imagery that you're putting in there is is good it's like even to the point of well feeling like maybe you're repeating yourself and you should probably push yourself in a new direction you know I probably shouldn't write another book that's quite so full of eggs and wings and islands otherwise I'm just um, jumping up and down on the same spot. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I guess, but it, it, it's, it's. I guess it is. I guess I'm sort of asking you about craft art, really. You know, yeah. um, you know what would happen if you started to sit down and write. You know, is it about something that's more unconscious than it is conscious, or do you feel in control of this to some extent? Do you need to feel in control of this when you're writing a poem of these motifs and images? I think when you're first writing a poem, for, when I'm first writing a poem, I need to be not not in control of it at all I think otherwise you're not gonna get to the interesting places I think you need to um I think well I think I need to like I said be out in a place and see what is coming to me (laughs) from outside but then when you know these poems have gone through so many drafts you need that sense of uh editorial control afterwards without trying to you know, you don't want to lose the kernel of what it was about in the first place. There's a couple of lines that s- stood out to me. Slimy intimacy from a meditation on small frogs. We live life close to the ground, which is from Goblin Core. And that last one in particular has stayed in my mind uh, ever since I heard you read it. Genuinely, it, it sort of trills in my mind from time to time. 
And it just seemed to say so much about uh, a connection with the world. But, uh, but also this idea of a slimy intimacy. And so a lot of your poems are about the connection with the world um, one way or another. But this one in particular, it made me think about, even though it's a, a, a poem about frogs, as we said, it makes me think about our connection with people too. Yeah, it did. That was one of those... Like there's there's always been something about animals that makes me want to properly interact with them, like probably to the extent that I annoy them and scare them, but I want to stroke every cat and horse and pick up the frogs, even slugs, just I don't know, just for that connection for some reason. And just that poem started off from a literal these frogs are cool. I want to play with these frogs. Um and then I think it did become about, yeah, I think quite obviously about um, about our intimacy with people and um, getting close to people. I think I think loads of this book is about trying to find the balance between um, hold being close to people, holding on to them, and needing that kind of freedom, independent and independence for yourself. Um, there's a lot of kind of ambivalence about domesticity in the book in terms of being a wife and a mother kind of a thing like not I don't talk about that particularly overtly and I'm not a mother but that sort of deciding whether to settle down or whether to be free and able to sort of roam around and harass frogs whenever you like um <laughs> I come from a very close nuclear family and my parents are still together and we're all we're all very close but it's about making that move from being part of that family to kind of creating your own family like being your own person and letting go of that position in that family um or your position sort of as a child and a, a daughter as opposed to a, an adult I think that's there kind of subtly in this poem in the let them go long long towing back to the stream tiny gold rings in their eyes like gold rings appear a lot in Norse mythology um as symbols of being tied to other people and as obviously rings of marriage you feel like there was uh, it started as a poem progressed started to feel like there was something here about sort of gen you know what are gender roles within sort of society you know it wasn't overtly political like that, but it did start to feel like there was this was emerging as a theme here there's a there's a commentary being made about roles yeah, that, that's definitely a strong theme in the book that it's not something I set out to put into the book, but it's just just reflecting my experience of the world and how how I how I am. And I'm not overtly political person. Like obviously everyone is political, but I don't sort of have I feel like I don't have the vocabulary to just say right really loudly, like this is a feminist poem about gender roles and things, but I think it just creeps into my poems in a more subtle way and it's definitely there yeah but yeah also you know the kind of again just sort of finding things in the world how we sort of map our experience and I guess that is a question is it about how we map you know a lot of it like you said you were you sort of finding and chasing the frogs and you kind of wanted to connect to them and it's about it feels like the the line you use is about mapping out the countries in the babies and the dialers and it feels like there are you are trying to find ways to map out the world or the poems about people mapping out ways and we start to do that don't we as children I guess but yeah. sometimes the map is not drawn by us is it I guess as much as we'd like it to be and I, yeah and I think these forces of, of the gender roles and 
and patriarchy are just there in the background acting on us in much more subtle ways than we're usually aware of and that can that can be a really powerful force behind behind whatever work somebody's doing without it sort of it's sort of bleeding in there really I think in my in my poems rather because it is a force in the background that I'm not I'm not overly aware of but I'm definitely that definitely is there yeah, well, it's um, your poems do speak about uh, they speak about the natural world, but they speak about ourselves as humans, don't they? In the natural world, and I don't know. Do you feel like we're losing some of that connection at all? Oh yeah, for sure, myself included. I think, I think what I'm what I'm trying to do when I'm writing is maintain for myself that kind of connection. Like it's a it's a practice of paying attention and looking and being connected to a place in time as opposed to having half of my brain on the internet or in virtual spaces or worrying about work and other commitments you know we've all got to got to do that but I think there is I think the internet and social media and phones obviously have a lot to answer for um in terms of making us feel disconnected with not just not with the natural world and the environment and that kind of thing but just literally as human animals I think it's really bad for our mental health to not be present with the people that we're with and in the place that we're in. I think it makes, I, I like I find myself if I spend too much time on my phone or the internet or just generally sort of mentally in this, that kind of virtual space, the, the real world loses its colour and its, um, its draw. It becomes less interesting than the kind of addictive flashing brightly colored things that I can find on an electronic device everyone deals with it differently and maybe just for me it's particularly I'm particularly sensitive to it but I don't know I just see a lot of people who are not paying any attention to where they are and I think in my writing for myself and hopefully for people who are reading the poems it's sort of a getting trying to ask people to look more closely at these things that are well, Charlotte, you do invoke us to look closer and um, Swimming Between Islands. Uh, it's published by Carcanet. It's out now and it's got a lovely cover that I think is produced by you, painted by you, Charlotte. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a digital watercolour that I did uh, on my iPad. It was a, a lockdown skill that I learned. All oh, right. How to do iPad painting. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Well, you know, don't only buy the book. You're not only getting Charlotte's poems, but you are getting her own artwork. Charlotte. Thank you very much for joining me on the Ripping Pages podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely to chat. Thanks once again to Charlotte for joining me on today's episode of the Ripping Pages. But of course, my biggest thanks to you for listening as well. Join me next time when I'll be with returning guest 